Now, before we talk about anything else, we gotta give some love to our sponsor for today's episode, and that is Lumify. Don't you just love when someone looks at you and says, what were you up to last night? Well, no matter how late you were up the night before, Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops can help your eyes look more refreshed and awake. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute to help your eyes look brighter and whiter for up to eight hours. No wonder it has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. You won't believe your eyes. You know you can trust them, though, because they're made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb, and they're backed by six clinical studies. Eye doctors trust them too. They're the number one recommended redness reliever eye drop. The one and only Lumify is an amazing drop that will have people saying something's different about you in the best way possible. So check out LumifyEyes.com to learn more. That's LumifyEyes.com. Thank you so much Lumify for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast. We love you here at Psychobabble. Now back to the gossip. Hi everyone, my name is Tyler Oakley and you are listening to Psychobabble, an unfiltered half hour of gossip sessions, pop culture scrutiny, and stories we've never told in videos. It's not just crazy talk, it's Psychobabble. In today's episode, we have a very special guest, the one and only Tessa Kanene. We discuss race, privilege, and how to respond to your family members when they say things like, all lives matter, I don't even see race, and why can't these protests just be peaceful? Stick around, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, and live tweet as you listen with hashtag Psychobabble. Hi, Corey. Hello, Mr. Tyler Oakley. What is popping? What is happening? You know, this and that, the other thing. Shit's going down. Shit's getting real. I've heard. I, you know, I know that about that. Um, <laughs> how how was your weekend? How was your life? How are you feeling? Happy Drag Race uh, finale. Happy yeah, Chromatica. I mean, there was a lot to process. There's a lot going on in the world. Um, I don't know. It was a, it was a weird weekend. Um, yeah, I don't know. How was yours? It was fine. Yeah, it's um, a lot can change in a week uh, and a lot can change in a month. And 2020 is a shit show. And um, yeah, there's been a lot going on pop culture wise. But Corey and I were having a little conversation about how um, with everything that my voice cracking with everything that's going on in the world uh, and especially this past weekend with um, protests around the country and uh, a lot of people finding ways to speak out and become a little bit more politically active and speak their minds and have conversations that might be a little bit difficult. It would be weird to have a normal psychobabble episode where we don't even talk about what is really important right now. Yes, we want to talk about Chromatica. Yes, we want to talk about the Drag Race finale. We'll get to that someday. Don't worry. I'm sure we'll find many, many episodes to talk about those things. But right now, um, Corey and I both agree that it would be strange to not talk about what's going on. And as two white gays uh, with very limited life experience, um, it would be also very strange for us to just sit here and talk about something that is not our lived experience um, without having maybe somebody to join us uh, that is not only a, a great friend of both of us, but somebody who really inspires me and has for... Um, a long time. We're so old now. Uh, and um, somebody that I have gone to 
not only for love and support, but also um, somebody who's been very gracious to educate me when I needed it most. And I still do and still continue well. Now, before we begin, I just want to make a quick clarification that it is not on the people of color in your life to educate you. If they want to do so, that is wonderful and we should be very grateful. But uh, it is on all of us to do the research, do the reading, do the educating of ourselves um, and not expect those around us to take the time or even have the emotional capacity, especially given everything in the news right now that can be very traumatic, uh, to educate us. That's on all of us to do that work. So uh, very, very grateful for Tessa for joining us. Um, but like like I said, it is not anybody's obligation uh, in your life to do that work. It is on all of us to learn ourselves. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, uh, our very dear friend, Tessa Kanene. Hello. Hello, Corey and Tyler. I am so touched and honored to be here. Thank you for having me. Of you know course. how much I love you both. Um, you're just like <laughs> full of light and love and laughter. And yeah, I was thinking it's how we've known each other for 18 years, which is crazy. We've known each other for 18 years. Yeah, that wild. Oh my God. We're approaching our 10 year, Tessa. I know. I was just about to say. And so when. Corey and Tyler moved to San Francisco. I was already living there. We're all from the home state of Michigan. And I had never met you before. And I was like, who is this Corey dude? He always talks about, I hope he's cool. I'm so sad. I'm <laughs> myself. And when I met you, I was like, oh, I almost like him more than Tyler. Excuse you. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but it's just been such a pleasure just like watch all your guys' adventures and see you just be such sources of inspiration for so many people. And I'm excited for our conversation. Of course. Now, Tessa, like Tessa said, we go back um, all the way to Michigan uh, and we have many cherished memories together. One of my favorite memories with you is um, dancing in the Starbucks parking lot too. My humps. My humps humps by Black Eyed Peas when it came out. I just have such a visceral memory every time I hear that song of you getting funky with it. (laughs) Yes, we have so many fun stories, so many drunky nights. Um, ah, You could write a book. I know, messes. But uh, when we, anytime we're together, I feel like so much love and support, but also I feel like I'm in the presence of somebody who does so much good in the world. Um, Now, for the people who don't know you, like me and Corey know you, can you give us a little background as to what you do and um, ways that you have been maybe an activist in your life? Because for me, I really look up to you in that way where no matter what, project you get involved in, you always bring a sense of social justice and responsibility to it. Um, How have you gotten politically active through your life? Well, thank you so much, Tyler. Far too kind. Um, It all starts, my both parents are from Uganda in East Africa, and my grandfather was in national politics. So he was in the first cabinet of the nation when Uganda um, gained independence and he was part of the liberal party and soon after um, that the government was overthrown and it was full of corruption he was jailed for five years and fleed and um, my grandmother and his daughter were shot and things really took a turn for the worst in Uganda Um, and eventually the country went under civil war and genocide and both my parents who are from the same town but didn't know each other until they came here um, came to the United States um, for graduate school so they got so lucky so education was really their key to get out and they came here for medical school and business school Um, and I still remember when they became citizens when I was four years old and since then 
election day has been as exciting for us as like the Oscars and the Super Bowl. Um, it was always so exciting to be able to be able to do our civic duty. And our, my parents got so involved. We watched every debate and they would volunteer and just make sure that we were really political, politically active. Um, so I think I really got it from them. Um, I think a lot of what I learned about politics, I learned at the dinner table. I'm the youngest in my family and my parents would love to entertain. So, so there was always just so many people from different walks of life and different backgrounds and personalities. So um, I learned a lot from that experience. Um, and then from there, the first political job I ever did, um, telling my friend Tracy, actually sent me a link to intern for the first governor, first female governor of our state, Jennifer Granholm. So I had the opportunity to work there. Um, and that was during the last economic downturn. Um, and I was just so inspired. And from there, just campaigned on um, Obama's Senate race and the both of his presidential races. And um, I had the opportunity to work for this on the mayor of Rio de Janeiro and the city of San Francisco, and most recently on as a deputy director for Elizabeth Warren's campaign. And now I am at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government working on social justice efforts. Casual. You are such a badass. You're a badass. <laughs> I'm just sitting here listening and like so just impressed by you and, and so glad to like <laughs> have a person like you in my life to like look up to. Aw, well, I look up to you too, Corey. I mean, that was, I, I don't know for you, Tyler, but it's like, um obviously, like I said, you've known Tessa longer than I did, but it's like, I didn't even know that whole story. And I've only gotten to see like glimpses and peaks. So I was just like grinning ear to ear listening to that because it's so cool to hear of all the things you've accomplished and all the ways that you've um, helped and been inspired. Aww, thank you so much. It's been a labor of love. And yeah, it's awesome to do it in community and side by side with you guys that um are always such advocates and allies and I inspire you and by the way that you are able to reach so many people and connect and you're always sharing information and being vulnerable and honest and um it's so cool to like watch your journey and be able to cheer you on so a lot of people that are listening um probably saw on the news this weekend you know protests and riots or looting or however the news media may have portrayed what happened this weekend. But what actually is happening this weekend goes way further back than this weekend. And um, can you give a little bit of context as to not just what happened this weekend, but like why is what's happening in the news happening and why is it not new? And why is it not me? Okay, perfect. Yeah. Um, it was both inspiring, I think, and frustrating to see the way things happened this weekend. Um, I'm deeply a pacifist. And I believe in peaceful protest and the use of expression to be able to advocate for rights, you know, and it's the story of our country. You know, Stonewall is how we accomplish so many LGBT rights, as you guys both know, um, women's rights with the suffrage. So the use of protest um, has been in our society for a very long time. And so it being kind of turned into some things that were violent or to have so many different camps was sad to see, but it's a powerful way um, to be able to express frustration. Um, and I think it's long overdue. Um, and so the history of race in our country is embedded in the way that we are founded. Um, having slaves come from Africa and build so much of our country and give so and do so much thankless work has been ingrained into the way that our systems and our structures have been institutionalized. Um, and a lot of times these conversations can be hard to talk about because, um, of course, nobody alive now was involved with that decision making. Um, 
few people hopefully would endorse um, such behavior now or even think of themselves as one that considers another race um, inferior. But I think what can be sometimes helpful is just understanding that we are all products of a system that is racist um, and that that does have different racial hierarchies, whether or not we benefit from them, whether they're good or they're bad, but just knowing that they exist. Um, and so sometimes when I'm talking to people, it can be really triggering or strange to word, use words like race or racism. And when I've found when I've done, talked to friends or led different workshops and these kind of things, um, a lot of times racism represents hate, right, as it should. So if you are trying to have somebody question whether or not they have racist tendencies, it can be really difficult. So I often substitute that with bias. And all bias means is that we have, we see different races or genders or sexualities or religions in ways that are different. And sometimes that can be favorable um, and sometimes that can be unfavorable. And a lot of times it really just aligns to um, having a favorability towards those that are like you. So for example, there could be a positive example. Nurses tend to um, give higher care to a patient that looks like their mom or um or you if you walk on a bus or a train people are more likely to sit next to someone of their same race all right so those things could be neutral um but then it can get into things like hiring manager are less likely to hire someone um, with an accent on the telephone or they'll be more likely to pull over someone of a different race or of course be more likely to murder somebody um if they are of a certain race. So those kind of things um, are just helpful to understand and the way that we are able to know that that exists. We know that police brutality um, disproportionately impacts people of color. Um, across the nation, African-Americans are three times more likely to be killed by the police. In Minnesota, where George um, Floyd was killed, they're four times more likely. And so those kind of things are helpful to understand um, from a data perspective and with evidence um, how these things are happening, why they're happening. Um, Though the images and especially the video of George Floyd was so hard to watch, we know that every year over 1,000 people are killed by the police. So it's just a small snippet, but we're seeing all the time. And had coronavirus not hit, you wonder how much attention and time would have been awarded towards um, the protests and uh, some of the riots that happened over the weekend. So it's one of those blessings in disguises. Another thing that I think is helpful is unpacking a term like privilege. A lot of times that can be another triggering word or can sound strange. Um, I think the reasons for that is it can sometimes people associate it with some sort of fault or shame or guilt. Um, but I think instead of that, I always like to have people really try to understand that it is more about not checking your privilege, but checking your heart. So understanding that wherever you stand, for whatever race you are, understand how does the space I occupy have some of these biases in it. And then thirdly, I think sometimes people, when they're asked to learn about this or that, they could presume that they're ignorant, they don't know. But I think more of it is unlearning and knowing that you are you were born into a space that already had these characteristics and these processes and by no fault of your own. So it's it's not that um, you've done something wrong, you're just mistaught. And so understanding how can I relearn or um, reprogram myself to not think of different races and religions and genders and sexuality in the same levels and stratospheres. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely, I, I loved what you were talking about as far as privilege because that's something I've really struggled with explaining to some of my family members and to some of my parents, because I think when people picture privilege, they white privilege, they always associate it with class privilege and they fail to see 
that there are so many different privileges. There's white privilege, there's class privilege, gender privilege, sex, ability, citizenship, all of these things, and they fail to see the intersectionality between all of them. And people often think that white privilege is all-encompassing and it checks all the boxes. Um, I know that I grew up on a, in a lower class level than a lot of people. So when I first heard people talking about white privilege, I immediately thought of my experiences and said, wait a minute, I grew up with less money than most of the people in my community. I grew up with parents who got divorced and I named all these things. But a lot of times when we're talking about white privilege, we're talking about things that white people don't even recognize that they have because they've never had to actually even think about it or consider it. Um, I've never had to uh, worry about being the only person of my race in a room. I've never had to worry about being able to find products that work for me at a store. Those are the kind of white privileges that we have that we don't acknowledge and that we don't know we have until we start to talk to people who've had different life experiences and different traumas than we have. Absolutely. That's so well put. And I loved what you said about being a class privilege because I feel the same way. And so much, I think I'm much more um, privileged than some other people, right? So I think that there are times when we really have to unpack what it means and know that it's not binary. And the intersectionality of it is really key because the way that race manifests itself, it overlaps with our biases around gender, around um, sexuality, around spirituality, um, around class, but also around geography, right? So the way that race is understood is different from an urban space to a rural space, to suburban spaces like where we're from, if we're in the north or in, your, in the south. So I really, people really have to understand how these different things, even if you're not experiencing them in one area, how someone else could experience them in another. Um, so I think that's really important to understand as we're talking about um, things like this and when we're talking about race. Yeah, and it's just uh, one of the things I read over the weekend that just like really kind of hit home. It's like saying that you have white privilege doesn't mean you didn't have a hard life. It just means that some aspects of your life weren't harder because of the color of your skin. And like, that's what, that's what it's like, we're trying to talk about when people bring up white privilege. And that's what I try to explain to so many of my family members who don't necessarily get it because they had a similar upbringing to me and because they always associate privilege in general with class privilege versus all the different privileges that exist in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Just just the privilege of not having the color of your skin make your life harder um, is such a good way to put it. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for that. I agree. Now, before we talk about anything else, we got to give some love to our sponsor for today's episode, and that is Mountain Dew. We all get bogged down with the mundane tasks of life, especially this time of year. But isn't it time you take a break from your normal, boring routine? Don't just sit on the sidelines and watch life go by. Get in the game! With the bold tropical lime flavor of Mountain Dew Baja Blast, you can be having a blast anywhere. Having a blast at work, having a blast in traffic, having a blast while you file your taxes. No, really, we mean it. When we say anywhere, with Baja Blast now in stores everywhere, you can be having a blast whenever and wherever you are all year long. So what are you waiting for? Pick up an ice-cold Baja Blast today at a store near you. And for a limited time, with every purchase of Baja Blast in stores and at participating Taco Bell locations, you can collect coins for a chance to get Baja gear or a Taco Bell deal. This swag is available for a limited time only, so don't wait. Grab a Baja Blast and start having a blast right away. No purchase necessary, open to U.S. residents, 
kids 18 and up, subject to official rules at BajaBlast.com. Ends June 15th, 2024. Void where prohibited. Thank you so much, Mountain Dew, for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast. We love you here at Psychobabble. Now back to the gossip. Now, before we talk about anything else, we got to give some love to our sponsor for today's episode, and that is Apartments.com. Okay, so when you're looking for a new home, you know it can be a little bit challenging depending on your needs. Like, say you need a balcony, or you need windows that face the sunset, or you need a hardwood floor kitchen, or you need to live somewhere pet-friendly. For me... It's being pet friendly. I do not want to sacrifice having the lovely life of having pets just because I can't find a home that allows it. Well, Apartments.com has helped millions of renters find their perfect place with powerful search tools that make it much easier when you're looking for a new home. And Apartments.com has the most pet friendly rental listings on the internet. I live with my pets. I would not ever want to live without my pets. Like, I know they might cause a mess or they might do all the things that pets might do that whoever you're renting from might not love. Well, I wouldn't want to sacrifice a life with pets just because I couldn't find a place that allowed it. I find it to be the perfect way to live. So if you're out there looking for the perfect place and you need your pets, Apartments.com has you covered. Visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Thank you so much, Apartments.com, for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast. We love you here at Psychobabble. Now back to the gossip. A lot of this conversation um, is coming up in social media and on the news, specifically because of George Floyd. Um, can you talk about, uh, what happened to George Floyd and why that is, uh, bringing so much attention to, in the news right now and why, and how it isn't really something new, unfortunately, because George Floyd goes with so many people who have had similar things happen to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think the one thing that makes this different is that it's videotaped. Um, so I think just the the raw imaging of us seeing someone be murdered um, was really triggering and shocking for a lot of people. So um, George Floyd is originally from Houston. He was living in Minneapolis. And um, a white officer put his knee on his neck and for nine minutes um, performed strangulation on him. And after cries of, I can't breathe, you're going to kill me, I need help, um, didn't let up to the point where um, George Floyd passed away uh, due to this act. So I think for a lot of people, um, not only was it hard to see it in person, but it was also seen that there was not due cause. And most importantly, that immediately after it happened, there were not immediate charges um, and so that was really tough for people, um, you know, no matter where you're um, where you're from. And it should be a common thing that one shall not kill. And so to see murder performed in such a way, I think, was hard. And so, I mean, it, hopefully, no matter what the race of George Floyd was, this would be something that would be painful. But I think it has um, additional ties to the way that police brutality has existed in this society, the lack of accountability um, and uh, the lack of support from local and city, sorry, local and county and state officials to say something and stand up and demand change um, and that there is justice served. I recently watched, uh, I had seen it when it first came out on Netflix 13th. And if you, I mean, if anybody's listening right now and wants to learn more about how 
the United States uh, has a long, long history of um, mistreating black Americans and uh, how it is ingrained in not just our culture, but in the law and the Constitution. And um, it's a really powerful documentary that really links everything that's happening now with reason to how it all began here in America. It, 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 this is not a problem that came out of nowhere. It is a problem that is deeply rooted in how our society has been formed. So I would very much recommend watching 13th. It's, it was really powerful. My roommate and I watched it last night. I, I, I didn't know you were going to bring it up, obviously, but I thought, of course, it's it's so relevant to what's going on this weekend and what's happening in the world. Yeah, it's um, it's very powerful. I would definitely recommend watching it. Um, but like we said, it's, it, there's a foundation in America that is built to create a system where black Americans are treated differently. And, um, this is not an isolated event. It is, it has happened for a long time. And like you said, Tessa, it's, it's because we're able to see it now on video and we're able to, people are able to record it. And so you have to think of how many people did something like this happen to how many black people did something like this happen to that? It just wasn't recorded. And so people didn't have a chance to feel this outrage because they weren't able to know that it even happened. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm so glad you guys both seen. I was actually going to bring it up to you. We're all on the same page always, but it's just so powerful. 13th is adapted from the 13th amendment, then boss slavery. And it's just really trying to understand how in so many ways, um, that was true on paper, but not in practice. And the other, so many other ways of enslavement from police brutality to mass incarceration um, to the reduction of rights that has sustained um, a system of culture of kind of two Americas. So definitely watch it. Ava DuVernay is um, incredible, brilliant, and she creates masterpieces that um, make you think and they change your mind and they open your heart a little bit. So right now we're going into um, Pride Month. And uh, I think a lot of our listeners are very versed on how to be activists when it comes to LGBTQ plus equality and queer rights around the world. And I feel like um, for a lot of our listeners, they themselves are queer. And so it comes really naturally. And for a lot of people in America, talking about race is uncomfortable. Talking about race is like they wouldn't know the right. They don't want to say the wrong thing. A lot of white people don't want to. Um, offend or, you know, it's it for a lot of white people, it feels like uh, I don't know how to even talk about that there. But I would say there's a lot of young people that want to get involved. They just don't want to say the wrong thing. What advice do you have for young people that want to be allies to the black community and to people of color in their life? Um, but they don't even know where to begin, maybe because of the, the upbringing they had or the school that they go to or the family that they're in. They they don't know how. Absolutely. Oh, that's such a good question. I love the intersection that Pride is starting, Pride Month is starting officially today. I think it's a powerful way. And I would see the same tools and solutions um, that we use to stand up to be allies and advocates for the LGBT community are helpful here. Um, if someone doesn't know how to talk about these things um, in a space or with people that might be experiencing them, think about what, what they would have loved somebody to say or somebody to do, how they would have loved to be supported or to be heard. 
Um, but most of all, just know you don't have to be an expert. This stuff is really sometimes we complicate it more or um, people have to feel like they're walking eggshells. It's just about love. It's just about accepting and loving other people. And there's no wrong way to do that. So you don't have to say the perfect thing. Um, acknowledge your shortcomings. Celebrate how far you're coming, um, that how you've come and what you're learning. And bring other people along for the ride. Do your reading, watch movies like the ones that we've suggested. Um, listen to people of color, but also listen to allies, your friends who are already doing this work. People you can look up to like Tyler and Corey that engage with this and are vulnerable and candid about what they know and what they don't know. And um, just stand up when you see things of injustice. And that should be true um, across races, across um, any population in which you said so i think the same tools we don't have to complicate it too much um and just know that um it's a place to learn and that your voice is welcome and that you are appreciated and the fact that you are even curious or wondering how to help means that you're halfway there um and even that will inspire people and make people feel heard and loved and i know tyler said a, a lot of young people might be like I said, struggling with finding the right words to think, right words to say. But I just want to say, like, I, I'm 35 years old and this is something I struggle with. And this is something why I reach out to my friends. It's it's people of all ages are struggling to have this conversation because it's been put off for so long. Um, so I loved what you said about um, leading with love and, and, and just even having the desire to start these conversations is, is kind of like a halfway there. Yeah, absolutely. And you're never too young um, to do this kind of stuff. And you're never too old to know that it's still hard and it's still tricky like Corey and I. Um, so I would just say, you guys use your voice and your power. Something that inspires me is that um, it's kind of deja vu, but when um in 1946, there were a series of three mortars in Georgia that were racially um, charged, similar to what we have right now. Um, and Martin Luther King was only 16 years old, um, about to turn 17. He had started at Morehouse College early, so it was after his sophomore year. And his first act of social justice was just writing a letter to the Atlanta newspaper. And he just wrote about... Um, what this made him feel and that he demanded rights for African-Americans that were just on par with everyone else. And it was such a small thing and I'm sure it was scary and he wrote it a million times and he didn't know what to say and didn't know if there would be a, a reply. But just know um, if you're young, your voice is heard. You guys are so inspiring to me every single day. And one of my favorite quotes is, if you're ever too small to make a, a difference, try um, sleeping in a room with a fly. And it just like always just reminds me that your voice can be so small, but it can make a big impact on anyone. So um, keep fighting, keep using your voice and know that any, everybody is welcoming me into this discussion. And the only way that we're going to make any changes is if we all uh, just accept being a little bit uncomfortable and that any other uh, pain that comes through as you're reading these things and having this conversation just feels strength. It's just like a workout, but for your heart and your mind and your soul, and you'll come out better and fuller and um, better suited to serve the world. Now, a lot of people will say like, oh, well, I'm not racist, so it's it, this doesn't have to do with me or like this isn't a problem that I'm perpetuating. Why is it important to not just be not racist, but to be anti-racist, to be against what's happening, against the negativity and outwardly outspoken about that? Yeah, I would definitely think of this. I think of an analogy of like the people mover at the airport that um, just keeps moving forward as you go from gate to gate. And to be... Um, to feel that you're neutral, that you're not racist at all, is just standing on the people mover and allowing racism to exist. And as we know, as racism continues, um, it leads to so many things, including discrimination, including deaths. So 
But what we can do and we have to do is use our force and our actions to stop the people mover, to make sure that doesn't continue. And so it's not enough to say that I'm not racist and just stand there and let it go forward. You have to take actions that might be hard, that might take a lot of strength, um, that might take us coming together because no one can stop something like that on their own. So I think it's really important that we know that neutrality is the same um, as acceptance of this, of as tolerance of all of these issues. So um, you're, per you're perpetrating when you are neutral, when you are silent. So even if you whisper, even if your voice shakes, make sure that you are doing something to reverse the cycle um, to stop the to stop racism from going forward. And and a lot of people are like, oh, I don't know the right words. Well, there is, you have just as much power when you amplify somebody else. Uh, and a lot of people, especially white people, have a sense of platform or privilege where say I don't know what to say in a very specific moment in time, I still have an audience that's following what I'm putting on the internet. I have, it is just as powerful to amplify those who might not have the same platform and share their message and share their thoughts um, so that my audience can hear that. And whether you have one person following you online or a million people following you online, you never know who amplifying somebody else will impact. And so like, I always think of my mom following me on Twitter and think of like how powerful it can be to to share something on my timeline that might make her think a little differently. And that's just one person. And so you might think of, okay, well, I've got friends in my hometown, friends with me on Facebook, amplifying those perspectives of people that might not necessarily be in their feed naturally will get those perspectives in front of them and maybe change their mind a little. So it's not about necessarily you having the right thing to say all the time. It's you using your platform to amplify those that might be experts or who have been doing the work and getting those people in front of the people that need to learn a little bit. Oh, I love that. And I absolutely agree with you, Tyler. I know both of us um, uh, with Corey Amitai have had conversations about how do we talk about this stuff with people from home or people of different generations? Because it can be so challenging and you feel like you're not making much headway and it can be frustrating. Um, but just know that sometimes it might be a little thing that you say or a little thing that you do that might inspire them more than you know. And they might not say it right away or they might not take immediate or direct action. But especially in these last two weeks, there have been so many people I haven't heard from come out of the woodwork that are like, I finally understand. It's one time when you told me this or I experienced that with you um, or you shared this thing. I didn't understand then, but I understand now. So this is a journey and we're all at different places in it. Know that um, your voice will ripple. It is making change. Even if you're not seeing with your own eyes. People are opening up. They're going to continue to explore and they'll get there in their own time, um, in their own way. And another thing that as far as more like a direct way to be able to do this, my favorite book on this stuff is So You Want to Talk About Race. Um, and it's just a, such a beautiful entry point for people of color and not of color. It's so honest and accessible. It's just really candid and comforting that gives you language to engage in really clear um, and careful and constructive conversations with other people. Um, about issues of race and bias and then it really has different parts about like how do you have these conversations with your roommates or your grandparents or your co-workers um, and how does race impact people in big small and structural ways and um, you just leave feeling really free and full to engage with this work I find um, it arms you with the language and the empathy as well as action steps that you can take and um put into practice in your own life. So um, I love that as kind of a guidebook um, about all the nuances of race and talking about it and experiencing. What's so, it, what's it called again? So you want to talk about race. It's by Ijeoma Uwalu. 
um, Aulo, she's, I think it's pronounced, but um, yeah, it's a fantastic book, and she's also just light and awesome and kind of funny, so it's a really good place to start, um, a really powerful read. I, I love what both of you guys have said, and it and it's you're right. It's it's not always the easiest conversation to have, and um, I, I was trying to have a conversation with my dad over the weekend and kind of explain to him um, what was going on and why I thought it was important and and why we should talk about the protests. And I, I had to kind of relate it back to Colin Kaepernick for him because my dad is such a big, huge football fan, and I and I had to remind him that Colin Kaepernick was trying to show peaceful protests for this exact reason about police brutality. And, and he, my dad was so well aware of the backlash that Kaepernick faced. And, and it was almost, um, it was so nice to hear him say that he understood and that he finally recognized it when I hadn't necessarily heard him say that in the beginning when everything was going on with Colin. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm glad you made headway. And that's what it is. You really have to find the ways to, to, um, relate to the different people in your life. And it might be a different approach that you use, for example, with your mom versus your dad or your friend. And so it's just kind of meeting people where they are and accepting any progress is good and being easy on yourself um, if you don't get it right and being easy on them if um, one example doesn't lead to change. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. So a lot of the people um, that I come into contact with are like, oh my God, I, d- I just saw my mom post such and such on Facebook or blah, blah, blah. Like, where do I even begin? And there's been a few um, like key phrases that that keep coming up when you're having these difficult conversations, maybe about race or prejudice or bias. And I know that I often hear some of these things. So I just want to go through a little list and hopefully um, we can kind of discuss best responses or messaging that might be helpful when you encounter these types of really uh, common prompts from people that don't want to maybe dig a little deeper or learn a little bit. So the first one is, oh, I don't see race. Uh, you know, I, I I support everyone, black, white, purple, pink, whatever. Um, I, I, I don't see race. How do you respond to that? Um, when people say that, I, I always think that the 
the ultimate objective here isn't to have everybody be race blind. It's actually that people will be more conscious of it and to understand that um, it sounds like that's an experience with like that means that race doesn't impact your own life. Right. So that's another way to um, have a conversation with someone and you're privileged because your race hasn't had a negative effect or doesn't often have negative effect on the way that you are treated in the world and how safe you feel um, and whether or not your life is in danger. So I'm communicating to people that um, I love that that's true for you and that you don't judge people based on that, but no, for other people, just because of the color of their skin, they're, um, they are barriers and burdens on them that you might not experience. So acknowledging that and understanding more about that, both the history of it and the manifestation of that in real time and real life for people, I think is helpful. Um, and But also celebrate people that say that, 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 that think for themselves that they, they don't see race. Um, again, I think people have those implicit biases, but um, I think always start with you know complimenting people on the things you think they're doing well, and then offering room for improvement to help them see the other side. Plus, I think when you say you don't see race, it's like almost saying, oh, I am I choose not to acknowledge the good things about you that your race brings to who you are. It's like, oh, I don't see that side of you. Well, you should. And there are good reasons to see race in other people because their their culture and their background brings so much good to who they are. So I think you're depriving yourself if you claim you don't see race in your friends. Does it make sense? Absolutely. I completely agree. Um, another thing that I often see on the internet is all lives matter in response to black lives matter. Um, and it's also very funny because you never see anybody say all lives matter unless it's usually in response to black lives matter. Um, can you talk a little bit about what black lives matter is and how to respond or how to respond to all lives matter? Absolutely. Um, I, I think Black Lives, I just think of Black Lives Matter as a, as a subset to All Lives Matter. Um, because we want All Lives to Matter, we have to acknowledge that Black Lives Matter too, and that Black Lives for so long, and up until this day, have not mattered as much as other lives. They haven't mattered as much as other lives in terms of who we keep alive, who we house, who we provide healthcare to, um, the way in which we treat people in some regards from hiring to opportunities, um, it's becoming extremely clear that Black lives are very different from other lives. So the only thing there is just to make sure that people recognize that and that we can get to a place where we can say all lives matter and not have to have certain segments of the population um, feel us out. Um, I also will say that there's so many other groups that um, experience discrimination and prejudice um, in, in a variety of forms. So I don't, um, I, sometimes people always say, well, we only ever say Black Lives Matter. That became coined as a phrase um, after some of these incidents, but in no way does it say any other minority groups are not as valued. Um, and I always thought it's been going around a little bit, but one of the responses I love to see is that you, you would never go to um, a cancer fundraiser for breast cancer and yell to the crowd that no, all cancers matter, right? They, um, the breast cancer awareness was such a powerful um, powerful, powerful movement that really identified a section of the population and a cancer that needed a lot of research and attention. Um, and it's made a lot of headway. And I think that was such a positive thing. In no way did it mean other cancers are not as important or as significant or even as deadly. It's not even the deadliest cancer. But it, it, it's just an opportunity to make sure that we're giving weight to something um, that has um, a lot of importance in society. And sometimes it's, we have to call things out because we can't do everything at once. So when we have spikes, um, like what happened with George Floyd, it's a really good opportunity to examine and focus on what the, the issue at hand. 
I love that you gave that example with cancer because that's honestly, it's it's one that I read as well and one that I've used when talking with family members because I think it does drive home a, a, the exact point that you were saying. Um, so I, I hope if anyone listening hadn't heard that analogy before, um, continues to use it because it is a great way to put perspective on things. And like I said, it, it actually has helped me have some tougher conversations with my family members and gain some headway as well. Uh, right now, we're seeing a lot of people, especially the news, kind of tone policing uh, protesters and telling them how to react to how the country has treated them for so long or telling them how they're supposed to be protesting. Um, I often see things like, oh, why can't the protests just be peaceful? Or why are they looting? Or why are they doing this? Or why, why, why does it feel angry or violent? How does tone policing um, the cause hurt uh, the situation? Like, why is it important to not tone police? I think it's important uh, just to, to let people emote and react and feel and respond in ways that are authentic to them and that make the most sense to them um, and to make value judgments about their response before you make value judgments about um, what they are protesting against, um, I think shows a shortcoming in your level of empathy sometimes. So um, while I agree that we should, if, we're not, if we don't condone violence of police officers, then we shouldn't do the same for um, violence of protesters, but to do one over the other or to, or to delegitimize the cause or the reason for a protest, because there might be some examples of violence, um, I think it's hurtful because there are so many people that are peacefully protesting and that are getting involved in ways that are really powerful and are taking action um, and are doing good things. So I would hope that people would um, both celebrate the act, the, the work that's going on, um, call for it to be peaceful, but knowing that this is, you know, centuries of frustration um, and it is so embedded into so much else. It's not just about police brutality, but it's about so many other systems and structures that are um, disproportionately affecting African-Americans. From the height of the coronavirus, which we know um, has disproportionately affected African-Americans both in cases and in deaths. In some cities, up to 70% of deaths are African-Americans, even though we make up 12% of the population. It's our, we're in the worst depression since 1929, and the economy is disproportionately affecting African-Americans, both in the loss of jobs and loss of homes. So I think this is just one other thing that um, we're seeing as a tipping point. So I think people have been frustrated, maybe stir-crazy in their homes, and so it's such a, um, an outburst of expression. And I think this was just the last straw, but of so many things that this is impacting. Totally. Um, okay, so for the people at home that would love to be better allies, whether that's to the trans community, to the queer community, to the black community, to the people in your life um, who need support, uh, there are tons of ways to be an ally. Um, we, I feel like we say often like being an ally is something that you have to prove every day. It's not a label that you can give yourself. It's something that you have to actively do the work every single day. And um, maybe that includes having difficult conversations with your friends and family. Maybe it means replying to your, you know, a very opinionated uncle on Facebook and trying to get them to see a different perspective a little bit better. Um, how can people be allies to the Black community right now um, in a few different ways? First, how can people be better allies to the Black community online? 
Okay, yeah, I think I love a lot of what you said before. Continue to read and research um, and post and share things that inspired you or you think could inspire someone else. Um, it's like the highest social media consumption right now with everything going on. So it's such a great opportunity to look at the silver lining in this and that you have um, an audience that has more time, more attention, um, and is able to digest a lot of this information more. So I think use your platforms um, to share, and there's just so many resources online to be able to engage. So I think that's safer online. Also, um, there is a Twitter just did a thing where uh, they have a they made like a list of Black Lives Matter activists. Where if you want to follow that list, it updates your entire timeline to include a lot more diverse voices. I'll I've linked to it on my Twitter, but I'll uh, I'll post it again when this episode goes live. It was really it's it's really like there's no excuse to not have a diverse timeline where you get all of the different perspectives because Twitter is doing the work for you at that point. It's like how can you not just push follow and then suddenly you're able to have access to all of these different opinions. It's very helpful. Another question is how can people be better allies to the black community in person? Um, yeah, I think just continue having these conversations with everyone in your life. I would say from brunch to the boardroom to the dinner table um, and absolutely to the voting booth, just making sure that you are talking about these things and uh, making sure that you are exposing yourself to um, different types of people, different experience, whether it be through TV or film, to be able to welcome some of these characters and faces in your, into your home so it doesn't feel so unfamiliar to um, see a positive black male or someone that doesn't scare you or threaten you, I think are really good ways that you can um, from the comfort of your own home, with your friends, with your family, um, have these conversations, engage with some of uh, this art and this film, because I think that that exposure is what begins to change us um, as we are, as we have different exposure to different types of people that changes the way that we interact with others, how we behave, the jokes we make, how we volunteer, even the career you choose or what you choose to major in or um, what you choose to buy. It just, it really starts to impact who we are once we see that other people aren't so scary um, and that the experience of African-Americans is a little bit unique um, as opposed to other groups in this country. And that if we work together, um, we can see that we can be united and we can each contribute in tiny ways to um, support um, and make a difference. As things are really um, in the news right now about, you know, protests and things like that, a lot of people might be thinking, oh, I want to go help. I want to be there. I want to be a part of what's happening in the world. What advice do you have for people that might want to be allies to the black community and show up to these protests, but they've never been to one? And what advice do you have for them so that they do the right thing there and maybe aren't doing the, the things that are problematic at a protest? Yeah, I think just be yourself, bring your whole self, um, wear your mask, stay safe, and uh, keep it peaceful. Use it as an opportunity to be in solidarity with others. Uh, maybe talk to somebody that doesn't look like you, or maybe you wouldn't in a normal space, um, and listen to them, and um, march with them, and try to understand uh, where everyone's coming from, what inspired other people to be there, um, and give each other ideas of how you can do better, and what actions you're going to take uh, once you leave the protest. I think a lot of people think the protest is, is, the, is the action, and then it's the work. Um, a protest is a call to action. 
and that's the beginning of the work. It's a signal and alarm saying that um, we're here, we're arriving, we're ready. But after that is where the real work begins. And if we want to put these policies into place, then um, we have to continue to demand leadership and vote for leadership that has the ability to um, make policies around policing at the local, state, and federal level. We have to vote for um, district attorneys and attorney generals and that will make the right decisions around how police officers are monitored and mandated and trained. Um, and our local leaders have the opportunity so much else that impacts our lives. So I think um, go to protest and enjoy and let that inspire you and let it fuel you, but then come, come home and think of some things that you want to do to make sure that the change and the, the world that you saw represented on the streets, um, a world of peace and a world of uh, justice is something that you can work towards um, in small ways as we go forward. I think one of the coolest things about going to, to one of the protests this weekend was seeing some of my friends who had never been to something like that. I kind of have a light switch on moment where they thought where they realized, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. It isn't what the news has always told me these things are. It was communal. It was educational. It was empowering. And I, I think it, it, if you go to something like this, you'll be changed. And so don't be afraid to go and learn and um, be supportive and know that it's important to listen more than it is to speak out sometimes, to listen to the people that have been doing the work and hear with their perspectives and hear their lived experiences and um, be a part of something and be there to show solidarity and support. You don't necessarily have to lead the chant. Um, you don't have to go there and be in charge of it right up off the bat. I think it's also so important to go and honor the people that have been doing the work for so long and to follow them and follow their instruction because they have been doing that work. Absolutely. Um, well, I feel really good from this. I feel like I have learned so much in general in life from you, Tessa, but also um, so much that you say on or off the podcast inspires me. So thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. Well, thank you so much for having me. I love talking to you guys. Thanks for everything you're doing. And um, I look forward to hopefully seeing you guys soon. I know. I miss you. I miss you too. I miss all of you. (laughs) And I just wanted to say like, I'm I'm honestly just so thankful to have both of you in my life and to call both of you my friends. You've both inspired me in so many ways and changed the perspective of things I knew and things I thought when I was growing up. And and I I hope people are lucky enough to, to have one friend or two friends like you guys who who inspire them the same way you inspire me. So I, I just wanted to give you guys both a bunch of <laughs> appreciation and gratitude because you really do mean the world to me and you've impacted my life in, in so many positive ways. The feeling is mutual. Corey, you're going to make us cry. <laughs> I love y'all. I love y'all. Thanks so much. Um, Tessa, where can people find you on the internet? I'm sure. So Tessa Kanene, T-E-S-S-A, last name K-A-N-E-E-N-E. Can you spell that one more time just for the people at home? Absolutely. T-E-S-S-A-K-A-N-E-E-N-E. Beautiful. I'm always here to be a resource if you guys have a question or something you don't know. If you feel like you don't have a black friend or you're a little unsure, um, I can be your friend. (laughs) You're so sweet. You're too sweet. I love you to the moon and back. Um, Okay, we got to go. Corey, where can people find you? 
You know where to find me. I'm Corey Cool everywhere on the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and I'm Tyler Oakley. Um, please uh, don't feel afraid to get involved, have those conversations, um, and most importantly, amplify the people who might not have the same platform as you. Even if you just have 10 followers, that's 10 people that who you could change their minds and you never know who they have listening to them. So use your access to them, have those difficult conversations and yeah, thank you so much. Have a good life. Tessa, we love you. Corey, good luck with your life. That's all. Love you. Love y'all.